I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Tonight we are going to consider Matthew uh, chapter 13, uh, verses 31 through 33. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse uh, 31. Uh, Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Let all those who fear the Lord give you praise, O God. We praise you and thank you, O Lord, for the steadfast love, for the mercy that has been showered upon us. We thank you for the seed of your word that has been implanted upon fertile soil in our hearts, that we bear fruit in accordance with your will. So we pray, Father, that as this gospel is proclaimed, as you plant more and more of the seed of your word in us. We do pray, Father, that you would make it grow. We pray, Father, that we receive it uh, humbly and respond to it with uh, loving obedience. Father, bless the proclamation of your word this evening, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, beginning in verse uh, 31, this is the word of God. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all Leavened. This is the word of God. First thing that we can, first thing we can do here in these uh, two parables, which we'll take together uh, tonight, is uh, situate them within a time frame. The time frame that Jesus was working with, the time frame that he gives us, and the time frame in which he was working when he's giving these parables and he's teaching his disciples. Jesus spoke about the harvest time. At harvest time, Jesus said that he would send his reapers to gather the weeds and destroy them, and he would gather the wheat into his barn. There, in that parable, in the previous parable, harvest time symbolized the second coming of Christ and the end of this age. That's Harvest time in that parable. And then right after these two parables that we're currently looking at tonight, Matthew gives us Jesus' full interpretation of that parable, the parable of the weeds. That's what we're talking about. And what was given in symbolic form in the parable of the weeds, harvest time, Jesus gives literally in his interpretation of that parable. This is verse 39. The harvest time is the end of the age. Or the harvest time represents or symbolizes the end of the age. That's what Jesus was saying there. So there's the time frame. His first coming, which is what we are dealing with in Matthew. The kingdom has come. The sower of seed has arrived. That's his first coming. That's the first point in time. The second point in time is his second coming, the end of the age or harvest time. And so the sower comes, he begins to sow seed, 
And then until he comes again, we wait until harvest time when the kingdom will be consummated. That's the time frame that we're working with. So these parables reveal what the growth of the kingdom will be like in the in-between, in between those two points in time, the already and the not yet. Jesus has already come. He has not yet consummated his kingdom. He has already sown seeds. He has not yet come to gather in his harvest. Now what stands out in these parables is, once again, the hiddenness of kingdom advancement. That's what stands out in these parables. The hiddenness of really what you and I are doing in church. In, as Christians, in our, in our life, in this age, in the church and in the world, and as part of the kingdom of God. There's a hiddenness to what we do. And there's a mystery, a secretness to what we do. There's a mysterious secret way in which the kingdom grows. Now, in thinking about this, we have to keep in mind how lofty the promises about the kingdom were in the Old Testament. In fact, we just read some from Isaiah 60. There are very lofty promises from God to his people in the Old Testament before Jesus came, before the Messiah came. We've already encountered one quote from Isaiah in this chapter, which Jesus said was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in the events surrounding his first coming. There's another quote from Isaiah that was given in chapter 12. And Matthew tells us that that prophecy was fulfilled in what Jesus was doing in his first coming. And there's another one from Isaiah in chapter 15 that is being fulfilled. We're told is fulfilled in what Jesus was doing. And so left and right, here is Jesus on earth, left and right, we are told prophecies of the Old Testament are being fulfilled in what he was doing and what was happening around him. Now one such Old Testament prophet is Isaiah. Of course, there are others that are quoted, that are referenced in the Gospels that are, we are told were fulfilled. But what else did Isaiah say in particular? Isaiah seems to be a popular prophet quoted in, in uh, this part in, in Matthew's Gospel. What else did Isaiah say would happen when the Messiah would come? Well, through Isaiah, God said, I will contend against those who contend against you. In essence, God said that with the arrival of his Messiah, which his people were waiting on for years, in essence, God said with the arrival of his Messiah, he would eventually restore Israel's glory. The nations, he said, shall come to your light. Kings shall kings to the brightness of your rising. In, in other words, you, Israel, will regain your glory once again. Your kingdom glory will be restored. You will be the talk of the nations. They will come to you. Those are the kinds of promises that the Jews had heard uh, for many, many years as they awaited the arrival of their Messiah. So good Jewish disciples have their Redeemer King right in front of them. The Messiah is here. And so they've got these prophecies rattling around in their heads. And so 
surely now is the time when the Romans would be overthrown, right? Now is the time when God would contend against those who contend against us, against Israel. This is the time that the Romans would be overthrown by military force, by an Israelite army led by this Messiah king who unleashes his divine power on all of our enemies. Now was the day. But this is not what they were seeing, is it? Instead, what do they see? What do these good Jewish boys and girls see as the Messiah is walking around among them? What they see is increasing hostility rising among Jesus' own people, Israel. Increasing hatred towards him. They don't see an army being raised. They don't see the Romans being put down. Instead, they see an an army of Jews raising themselves against their Messiah. They are angry at him. They become angry at his teaching. They reject it. They would eventually see that hostility erupt into full-blown hatred and murder. They have him crucified. They don't fight against the Romans. Actually, they partner up with the Romans to kill the Messiah. They had Jesus crucified. So then what they thought might have been or should have been an immediate overthrow of the existing wicked rulers was pushed further and further out. These promises about God contending against those who contend against them, obviously it's not going to happen the way that we thought it it would. Or at least it won't happen in the timing that we thought it would. Those things that they thought would happen is pushed, should happen with the arrival of the Messiah were pushed farther and farther out. Now Jesus, out of love for his disciples, wanted them to see the true nature of the kingdom. And he wants us to see this as well. He wanted them to understand its reality, namely its spiritual reality, as opposed to the false notions of the Jews who did not believe. They couldn't understand. They did think that the arrival of the Messiah meant a full-blown military assault on all of their enemies and worldly glory would be given to them. But they didn't believe and they didn't truly understand. In fact, even the disciples who did believe had trouble with this. Now, the first aspect of the reality of the kingdom of heaven is that it appears small and therefore also small in power. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a grain of mustard seed that is sown in a field. It is the smallest of seeds, meaning the expectation from the outside when you look at the seed is very small. You look at the size of the seed and you look at its potential and you think there's not much there. Not much can come as a result of this. Small seeds produce small plants. This was Jesus. From an outside worldly perspective, his influence, his potential was incredibly small. He is ministering in a small in small Jewish towns that is part of a subjugated nation, Israel. Israel is just one among other nations who have their necks underneath the feet of the Roman boot. They are insignificant. Jesus is being followed around by 12 lowly former fishermen, former tax collectors, very unassuming men, not 
very, not very much potential there from an outside worldly perspective. Compare this to the might of Rome at the time. Rome, the reign of Rome extended into the farthest reaches of the known world at that time. Rome had one hundreds of thousands of the most disciplined and the most highly trained soldiers in the world. They were known for this. Who cares about a Jewish carpenter being crucified on a Roman cross? Who cares? He's just another piece of evidence that gives the world proof that Rome is forever. The power of Rome cannot be undone. The power of Rome is unsurpassed. Who cares about this Christ that is crucified? Others were crucified with him, and there will still be more. Roman supremacy at this time in the eyes of the world was untouchable. Now, Jesus urges his disciples, and so you can understand what people might think of, of Jesus and his ministry. Very small. There's not much potential there. Uh, Jesus urges his disciples, though, through this parable, not to think like this about the kingdom of heaven, not to think like the world. In other words, they should evaluate its power, not evaluate its power based on worldly standards. This is not how we are to think about the kingdom of heaven and its power, its potential. We are not to filter it through the worldly grids of worldly power and worldly advancement. And so Jesus says, yes, the mustard seed is small, but, but when it's full grown, it becomes very large, so large, in fact, it is no longer just a plant. It's actually a tree. It's so big, people can regard it as a tree, so large, in fact, that birds come and make their nests in this tree. It's quite a different outcome than what was first seen if you just look at its humble beginnings. The point here is that based on the original evaluation of the seed, one would not expect that over time it would become so large. It, it, is, it, it can't be understood if you look at the smallness of the mustard seed. So to emphasize this point, Jesus quotes here Daniel 4. He says, the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, this is a reference to Daniel. And there in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a tree in which birds nested. It was a tree that birds made their nest in. And Daniel told the king that the tree in his dream represented himself. It represented him as a king and his vast kingdom at the time, which was Babylon. Babylon had become a vast worldly kingdom, just like the Roman Empire, although the Roman Empire far surpassed the glory of the Babylonian Empire. But Babylon had achieved much wealth and much, uh, uh, much land. It was the largest empire in the world at that time. And uh, Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar, that tree in your dream, it represents your kingdom. Here, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven one day will become like this. It will extend over the whole world. Its branches will touch every part of the world, eventually. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this, there is nothing outside of that, friends. The empires that we know of today, there are boundaries. 
they can only go so far. When the kingdom of heaven is consummated, that's all there will be. We will inherit the earth. It will be ours and no one else's. We won't share it with anyone, in other words. That's the extent of the kingdom of heaven once harvest time comes. Again, when will this happen? Well, it's already happening on some measure. It was already happening then in Jesus' day. After Jesus died and was buried, he rose from the dead on the third day. And then from there, the gospel went out from this little area of Jerusalem. It went out from there to Samaria. And then where? To the ends of the earth. Now we, us, on the other side of the world, from Jerusalem and Samaria, when Jesus first came, we have heard that gospel and we are now made part of this kingdom of heaven. We, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world from Jerusalem and Israel, are now part of this tree, this mustard seed that has now become a tree. We have made our nests in Christ's branches. We are the birds in this parable. Who would have thought that looking at what Jesus was doing in this insignificant, these insignificant Jewish towns, who would have thought that what he was doing there would touch upon your life today in America 2,000 years later? I don't know about you, but that's a vast kingdom. That's an influence and effect of a kingdom that could not be understood when you first saw what was happening in the beginning. And it continues to grow. The gospel continues to have an influence and have an impact on people in all parts of the world. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that tree symbolized his kingship and his kingdom. But the tree was cut down in that dream. The tree that is the kingdom of heaven can never be cut down. We are part of a kingdom that will never fade away. Unlike the empires and the kingdoms of this world, our kingdom that we are made a part of is invincible. Now, the question arises here then, if this is the case, should we, the church, expect to see today the kingdom of heaven expand all over the world in such a way that every nation becomes, quote-unquote, Christianized? Is that something that we should hope for or expect in this age, in this time frame that Jesus gives us? Well, the Bible's overall answer to this, I think, is no. This belief that eventually every nation would become Christianized and then Jesus um, will come, this belief, I think, would run counter to what he just said in the parable about the weeds. What did he say about the weeds? Let them grow until harvest time. They're going to grow. The wicked in the kingdom will always be there. In this world, they will always be there. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together until the end of the age. And then, at Christ's second coming, then is when we will see the full flowering and the growth of the mustard tree. That's when we'll see this tree in its full glory blossom when Christ comes again. That is what we can expect. Until then, there will be weeds. Until then, the kingdom of Satan will continue to advance against us or attempt to overthrow us. But until that day comes, and we know from God's word that his attempts are futile, until that day comes, our work, our size, our weapons, friends, 
it will always look small. We will always look small in the eyes of the world. We're not going to gain the approval and the dignity from the world that the unbelieving Jews wanted in their day. The things that we do here will always look small and insignificant and lack potential. Think about it. What are we called to do? We are called to consistently and faithfully preach the word, hear the word, obey the word. We are called to consistently and faithfully administer the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to teach all that Christ commands. All of God's people are called to humble, faithful obedience to God's word. It's very simple. We are called to be comfortable with being small, marginalized, enduring persecution, struck down, ridiculed, dying to sin, praying for our enemies, addressing sin in the body, raising our children in the Lord. These are insignificant things in the eyes of the world, things that don't make a real difference. But Jesus tells us not to evaluate them in that way. They have all the power in the world, actually, to advance a kingdom that will one day overtake the entire world. Jesus shows us here that the power will be seen and felt in its fullness later on. But for now, friends, that power is hidden. It's hidden for the most part. It can't fully be seen yet. Now, the next parable further emphasizes this point. A woman puts or hides leaven into three measures of flour. This measurement is significant because it's relatively large. These are, this is roughly 40 liters of flour, 10, more than 10 gallons of flour that she, that she puts leaven into. The leaven is hidden, but it permeates, it penetrates and influences the entire batch of flour. The batch of flour is very large, but the leaven that's hidden there influences the whole thing. It causes it to rise when it's baked. Well, this is who we are, friends. The power in the church and the gospel is largely hidden. It can't be seen for now. Even though we are small in number, even though we will always be the minority until Christ returns, nevertheless, our influence is felt. It is felt in the world. We are the salt of the earth, and we will always be this. So again, don't, do not measure our influence, our potential by the ways of the world. This leavening influence, friends, though, as we think about this, it only has power if we individually and corporately let the leaven of the gospel penetrate and influence every part of our lives. That is another thing we are called to. Let the gospel have an effect on every part of your life. And in that way, even though it's hidden in that way, the Lord promises us that we will have an influence on this world. It's pursuing holiness and righteousness in Christ that the hidden power of the gospel is made known. Now one day though, friends, that day has not yet come, but one day what was largely hidden will be revealed. One day the power of the gospel in the church, the glory of Christ, will be on full display like a tree whose branches and leaves reach over the whole world. We look forward to that day.